Hey, Tony. Hey, Phil. Uh, what have you been up to in here? Oh, I've just finished installing a karaoke machine on the dingometer. A karaoke machine? Wow. Was it difficult? Well, first I was afraid, and then I was petrified. And now? Oh, now? I mean, I've had the time of my life, Phil. Uh, I've, I've never felt like this before. I'm, I'm actually flying without wings. Okay, um, I'm going now. <laughs> Welcome to The Dingometer, where we investigate ways of creating awesome learning experiences and tackle tricky issues in learning experience design. In this episode, our guest is Tom Garsberg, founder and CEO of Grenade, an enterprise growth labs and future of work company in Sydney, Australia. Tom is a technology entrepreneur and innovation advisor, and he's also a TED speaker, IBM global entrepreneur and profit hacker. His work with some of the world's most notable companies blends the worlds of data, AI, behaviours and creativity, and he likes to ask big questions about what the future of employment is going to look like. Our conversation with Tomer produced some provocative insights about the future of work and shed light on the one very human desire driving technological change and how it's going to challenge existing modes of learning. Tomer also revealed why the ever more rapid transformation of the world by new and emerging technologies means the workplace is going to need more translators and he highlighted the importance of curiosity, fearlessness and a reverence for the status quo in the art of becoming ever more human. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. So, Tomo, welcome to the Dingometer. Absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, so you're, so you, we came across you because you've done a, you know, a fascinating TED talk about what happens when we take the humans out of work, and you've got a really interesting background. It says Tomo Garsberg, profit hacker, which we could talk about a lot in terms of a title, but also you're the founder and CEO of Grenade, and uh, and you, you're working to to do a lot of work with data science and help people hack growth and use machine intelligence and, and, and these kind of things to improve efficiencies, profit, and, and look at future of work. But it was your, your TED talk I found fascinating. I think Phil did too, because it was, it's this, you know, vision into the future of what machine learning looks like, what a, a future of less work looks like. It's funny when I gave that talk, um, the whole notion of like the dark factory was, surprising to to a lot of people i guess today maybe not so much but um you know because obviously you know the the, the notion of the talk was you know machines can work 24 7 365 and they don't need to take lunch breaks or anything and uh they don't need to see like they, they don't actually need to see and therefore you could save power you save that money by removing your electricity supply for things that don't need to be used such as lighting Right. And I think there's a, there's a supplementary video that didn't make the cut where it shows engineers coming in every quarter to check on these machines and they just have the hard hats with, with lights on them because, you know, there's no lights in the factory. It's really interesting. They never turn the lights on. But, um, you know, in many ways, um, you know, where that talk went was, you know, kind of what AI machine learning might mean to the future and, and, you know, what will we be doing in the future, you know, as this thing becomes a bit more prolific? And it's funny, I never, I was never really it's formally trained in, in machine learning or AI. I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a, a data scientist. Um, I'm more intuitive. I'm more, almost like uh, I kind of feel my way around technology and see where it fits best, you know. And, uh, and it is interesting. It is interesting to see how things have gone. Um, and you know, it comes back to 
a notion that I speak about these days, which is um, technology is actually really there to do only one thing. And it's actually really easy to predict what the next technology will be um, simply based on this one notion. And this one notion is, um, you know, we humans, we, um, you know, historically, you know, if we, if we think back to maybe, you know, prehistoric times when humans were kind of running around and, and trying to hunt for deer and, and all that. And, you know, you would, um, all these kind of stone tools were, were, I would say, stumbled upon in terms of, you know, okay, well, we can try to chase the deer down or we can throw this thing at it and, you know, and it will kind of slow it down a bit and then we can kind of throw a spear at it. And then, you know, and all these kind of tools were essentially uh, crafted to make life easier. And what is life easier? It's essentially, you know, we have a desire and we want to fulfill that desire, right? So we, we're hungry, we want to eat. And there's a time limit between that, right? It's almost like you can't indefinitely go hungry, otherwise you die. And of course, that's the greatest motivator of all. So of course, um, if you can see kind of the evolution of, you know, we've come from like sticks and fire all the way to kind of AI and machine learning and technology, really all it's doing is this shortening the distance between desire and fulfillment, right? And hence why, you know, it's, you know, there's some really famous stories around this, such as, you know, Blockbuster, Right, you know, Blockbuster used to be, you know, the one of the the biggest uh, enterprises. You could walk in, and you know, you'd have to go in and you know, pick your VHS tape, and you could take it home. And if you were late, they would charge you, and you have to drive all the way back, and you know, put it in the return slots. It's it fulfilled a purpose because we didn't know any better. But as soon as say something like Netflix came along, um, it you know, we immediately wanted to be entertained, and we could be entertained at like a click of a finger or a press of a remote, you know, and, and so what that's done is it's shortened the distance between design and fulfillment. And of course the things that take longer um, that are playing in the same niche would just fall away. So in many ways, I think just a broader, you know, in a broader sense, technology, AI, all of that is kind of really building towards, um, I guess, reducing the, the reducing that distance, that distance between what we want and achieving that that want. And I think the point of today is, you know, education. What's it going to do to that? And, and again, you know, it, it's. I mean, it depends how far in the future we want to go. So of course, you know, Elon Musk's working on the the Neuralink. Um, it's a little bit of Matrix style stuff where you know might be able to upload things into your brain. But could you imagine that? I mean, really, school is just simply a lab. <laughs> when you come in and you ingest, you're ingesting a language um, or, or something like that, right? So, I mean, who knows? But it's um, th those innovations are definitely happening right now. So that's kind of a scary and awesome part. Our interest, or we're coming from an educational background, and we're interested in, I suppose, this intersection of technology uh, and and education and learning, and also what is the purpose of education. Not just in a, I suppose there is a, there's a question, what's the, what's the point of education in a world of less work? And that is, that's a big question. But also, what's the point of education to prepare people to be useful in this kind of world? And, and you've said, you just, you just mentioned that you're not necessarily a coder, but you have this ability to sort of see opportunities, think creatively, bring things together. I mean, it, it's, it strikes me that if we can get machines to do more of the legwork, then that there is a need for education to do something different. So, but I mean, what is your, your view of the sort of the near future of education and what do you think education 
particularly higher education, is not perhaps focusing on that perhaps it should focus more on to prepare people for you know, the next five to 10 years, do you think? It's a good question. And, you know, it is interesting. I feel like there's, you know, you can look at it in two ways. I think one is how do we become more human considering with a lot of our human skills have disintegrated, um, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I was talking to, um, to a bunch of uh, friends the other day and um, these were women who mentioned that no one approaches them at the bar anymore. Right. No one, no one present with a bionicle. They just, they would rather, they would rather get swiped than, you know, and it's oh, almost really? taken that, it's almost taken that, taken that element out of it. We've almost become machines ourselves, right? In a way. So I think one opportunity is obviously expanding on what it is to be a human, right? And that comes to a particular point that I, I want to make, which is the world doesn't really need more innovators, even though that's great. Um, the world needs more translators, you know? So there is a massive disparity between the technology that's being built that seems almost abstract to the majority, right? Until you really invest yourself in research. So for example, you know, you can look at cryptocurrencies. You're either in or you're out. Like there's actually, you know, you know, you're either, you know, you've either heard from your taxi driver that you should buy Doge, but you don't know why you're buying Doge, you know, um, or you know all of these things about all of these different, uh, all these different kind of blockchain uh, uh, projects, and you can really understand the merit that they bring to the table, and therefore you're able to capitalize on that early. So there's this kind of, I think there's a bit of a disparity um, maybe between, I guess, traditional education and the skills that they're that they're um, that they're uh, you know helping people leave with, and what they're being kind of the world that they're being spat into, which is you know um, it, it isn't common to sit around the pub and have a talk about the inner workings of an AI, right? It's not common to you know maybe a bit more common these days about cryptocurrencies, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, it's it's. It's difficult to sit in a boardroom and talk about, for example, you know, what the, what's the inner meaning behind the word robotic process automation rather than using it as a buzzword um, and go, yeah, we need some RPA, we need some innovation. You know, it's almost like there seems to be a, a really decent gap between technology in its early stage um, and as it proliferates um, and becomes more mainstream, um, all of the opportunities are then lost, right? So the idea is like, how do we help to enable people to generate more human skills, curiosity, um, inquisitiveness, um, you know, literally um, building a, a creative palette of, um, of, I guess, equal parts um, innovation and equal parts curiosity, and then going, okay, well, how do I, as a human, try to find my niche in, in, in maybe technology that's up and coming and become quite unique at this to a point where I can translate this to the masses, right? And, or I can, you know, go to work and, and sell this to the board and, you know, get a massive pay rise and, you know, get a completely new role named after me because, you know, they never had anything like that before. You know, there's, I don't think chief innovation officer has been around for that long, you know, but now everyone's got a chief innovation officer, and, you know. Um, so I think there's, a, there's some interesting plays here because uh, it is quite obvious that 
the innovation, the speed of innovation is actually happening extremely fast and things come out and they seem really weird and abstract. And I made the mistake long ago. Um, you know, I, I had a friend who, who started a, a company. I had no idea what it was. And he asked, you know, if I wanted to pitch in to be like, you know, like a, a seed fund, a seed investor. I didn't have any money back then anyway, but I didn't take the time to research. And the, of course, the company did extremely well. And the guy exited and he's, you know, well, damn. But, uh, <laughs> damn it. But it taught, me, it taught me this really valuable lesson where it's like, if you don't understand something, it's actually worth diving into. Um, when I was um, at school, they only really gave you a number of things you could learn, right? It's almost like, here's a list of what your life could be. Here it is. You know, it's like, pick what you want. You want to be an accountant? You want to be a journalist? You want to be, and you're like going, well, none of this really fits, but I guess that, you know, and then they go, okay, well, um, you know, now you've got uni and here's a, a bigger list of, of things that you might want to be. And you go, well, I still don't feel like I fit into this box. Like, you know, and then of course, you know, I, I would say you know, my education, I actually studied to be a journalist of all things, but um, my education was sound. And that's probably the, the best word I can use to describe it. It gave me a, you know, at least I can spell, right? And so, you know, and, uh, but did I use it? Not really. In fact, I, I went to work for, um, for News Corp immediately after uni and I realized that I'm probably the worst employee someone could ever have, you know, because I'm just, I'm, I get sick of things. I just get sick of things, you know, I'm like, uh, this, this is boring. This should be better. Like, why are we, why are we handwriting stuff? Like, what, what is going on? And, you know, and that frustration, that frustration that leads you to the path of, you know what? I just want to like, I like that. I like AI. I just want, I want to do that and having no idea about anything like that. Not again, not studying any computer science or anything like that, but still being able to carve a career in that space. I feel like that's where the gold is at, right? It, there's people that can build the tech, don't necessarily know how to talk about it. And the people that want to buy the tech don't necessarily know how to ask for it. And so there's a complete mismatch and there's so much room for translators. I just going to want just, you know, you talked a little bit about your um, educational history because you sound like someone who has felt their way into a role, if you're not, and built the role around them in that respect. So, so, um, so you, you said that you uh, originally journalism was the thing. And what was it about journalism that felt uh, felt proximate to your interests then? Was it to do with curiosity, exploration and stories? Was it that? I, I knew that I'd have something important to say one day. I just didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? And so um, I figured, you know, um, getting into the media would be the, the most opportunistic thing. And I had all these grandiose visions almost fantasies of what it's like to be, you know, a high-flying journalist. But to be honest, <laughs> it's not that at all. So, um, you know, and it, but, but it kind of gave me the kind of gateway to be able to, you know, it's funny because I, I studied journalism as a, as a bachelor degree, but then, of course, not being satisfied with that, I ended up doing an honours degree after that. And in the honours degree, I just remember all these things. Uh, all these things that I got taught during journalism, they're like, you don't do this and you shouldn't do that, right? Propaganda is, is you know, it died in World War II and, you know, you don't use propaganda and you don't manipulate people and 
I got all these things that I got taught all these things about what not to do. Right? They go, you do this. Here's your box. You play in there. It's it's called ethics. It's called you know proper journalism. This is how you format things. And then there's all this other stuff where it's like you know the internet's full of lies and you know all this stuff. And I'm like going, all these things they told me I shouldn't do. I really want to do them, you know. <laughs> and my and my honors degree, my honors degree was literally an experimentation about how can I manipulate the media to propagate something that isn't real into something real. And uh, I remember it vividly. It was called the Tara Bell Project. It's in fact, it was a made-up woman who. The story was that she um, she used to be a student. She flew to the UK. She found out that she inherited a whole bunch of wealth, and she was coming back to give back to the community. And she would hire limousines to ferry students from class to class, and you know, give away tickets to concerts, and you know, and. This kind of uh, I started to feed that into the, the 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 university press, and it started to proliferate out of the university, saying there's this mystery woman who's ferrying students around the university in limousines and giving away tickets, and and it was this really awesome experiment about how to how to I wouldn't say manipulate the media, but kind of get away with things, like you know, kind of bend the rules a bit, and. That once I knew I could do that, it was all on from that point on. I knew that nothing that I was told that was real about the world is real, right? It's all fake, like fake jail cells. They're all fake jail cells, and it's they're all kind of your condition to understand or or, or condition to believe that you have to do things in a particular way. And if you do it here, if you do it this way, you're going to be safe, right? And safety is what you want. In fact. All the best lessons I learned were when I wasn't safe. If you had to design a learning experience to produce more people who felt as fearless as you, I know this is the ridiculously sort of reductionist uh, question, but what what would be sort of lesson one? Like, how would you how would you bring people towards you um, as opposed to just saying, "Be like me." How would you sort of translate your skill set into a thing that could be acquired by other people? I, I feel like the problem is, the, the real problem is, is that we're nurtured in the way that we grow up and the and and our experiences, and we really value safety and you know kind of being wrapped in cotton wool. Like we really. It almost feels good because there's no resistance there. It's almost, you know, safety, comfort. You know, I know what I know, and I'm not going to step outside of that for fear of looking like an idiot. Um, and and it's funny because we all desire more, right? It's almost like you know, it's not enough to just sit there like a vegetable every day and just turn up and just. You know, not grow like everyone expects you to grow, and so there's this. I think there's a real mismatch between everyone has these desires, right? We're all trying to get something out of life. Otherwise, if there would be no desire, we would literally just rot and die, right? It's just we are we are desiring more than we have right now, and that's what drives us forward, right? And if you've always noticed, if you always notice that it's the people who we most look up to 
that have been through the, the biggest, almost all of the, the adversity that they could possibly have had thrown at them. It's these people that have achieved greatness. And what happened is whether by their choice or not, they've had to face their fears like in an extreme way. And again, we're, we're kind of going slightly existential, but I think this is where it's at. It's the reason is why are we here? Not what am I supposed to do? It's why, why are we here, right? We're trying to do something with our lives and just knowing enough to get by and sitting in your box ain't, ain't going to get you there. And it's almost like, how do you create a curriculum that starts to really bend open those, those kind of jail cells? How do we kind of break them open? And it's about facing fear and being okay with failure, being okay with being wrong. I mean, everyone's so afraid of it. You know, everyone's so afraid of putting their foot out of line or, and you know, the reason why is because we like to point and laugh at them. You know, we, people buy magazines about it. They watch television about it. In fact, I haven't watched television in three years because of the, the level of, um, I feel like the way that it tries to program us to be is to go, well, look, these are, these are idiots and we don't want to be like idiots, right? We want to put ourselves out there because these guys are idiots, right? And anything that's kind of inspirational, it's almost like, oh, well, that's Elon Musk. That can't be me. That's Elon Musk. And again, the guy's nothing special. No one's that special, right? It's just people have had the bravery to kind of go out there and, ex and explore and be wrong. And, uh, and I think that's where the confidence comes out because, you know, you mentioned before, I can walk in and kind of talk about, I mean, who's going to tell me I'm wrong? Who's going to tell me I'm wrong? You know, so that's where it comes from. It's like, and if, if someone tells me I'm wrong, then I'm actually smarter next time I bring it up. So it's, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. And I guess when you look at, when you look at the world and, and what might be holding you back, they're the things that we should be working towards. In fact, life tells us where our growth is because it pushes resistance in our direction, right? Where we feel uncomfortable, where we feel pain, where we feel that's where we should be going towards. So main, maybe schools need to be somewhat slightly existential, slightly psychological, um, but at the same time going, what do you want out of life? Do you want to be wealthy? No problems. It's time to start like trying something. You're not going to learn it. You have to experience it. You know, you want to be a rocket scientist. No problems. It turns out you don't actually need to know anything to be a rocket scientist. Look at Elon Musk. I mean, he doesn't build the rockets, but he's got people that do it. So it's almost like, it's almost like going, how do you hack life? You know, because it's kind of there and all our opportunities are there. And it's almost like going rather than seeing the rules, which we're being told are the rules, going, well, how do we break those rules? And breaking those rules will probably break the world in a really good way. I reviewed a book last year, which was looking at education and what they call technological unemployment. And it was really looking at this idea of, okay, well, if AI uh, machine learning does reduce uh, opportunities for work, which is a question, you know, that there were potentially four possible futures. One, which is the sort of expansion of the third sector, sort of community-based projects. One was a kind of a neoliberal, let's just carry on as usual, it's just business as usual. One was about sort of augmenting human capabilities, like you're saying, a bit like Elon Musk and the, you know, the neural net, uh, as, as we work more closely with AI. And one was to do with the, the potential for leisure to define our existence more than work. 
what's your thoughts on that? I mean, do you, where do you see the next 10 years for us? Do you, I mean, do you, it's a big question, but I mean, do you think will, will work just reduce because, because of machine learning, learning and AI, or actually is that, is that a bit of a fantasy from, from your perspective? Because it's never been proven true in the past. We always had new technology, fear of unemployment, and it hasn't happened. Is it different now because the speed at which machines are learning and the speed of development is quicker, or is it, is it business as usual? Good question again. You know, it's interesting because um, this was part of my TED talk that didn't make the cut because obviously they, they're very good at like working out what makes a TED talk and they cut stuff out that <laughs> might be a little, you know. Um, but I actually had this and I was going to talk about it. So it's, it's funny, if you think back, okay, I always like to go backwards and you go, you know, that in, in, I think it was in London where it first started, they had these um, individuals that would go and, and, and light lanterns at night, right? Because there was no electricity, they light lanterns. And then there's these ones called, I think they were called knocker-uppers or something, and they, they would wake you up at a particular time that by, by knocking on your, on your window. And of course, they became quite obsolete uh, once electricity came out and you had alarm clocks. But, but I mean, now you have electronics, you have electricity, and, and of course, there needs to be new skills for that. And so, I mean, it, it's a matter of, well, if you can't put food on your table today, maybe it's time to go spend some time with an electrician and work out, you know, this new piece of technology that's out there, um, because that's going to define the whole world soon, right? And then, of course, that's happened time and time again, you know, I mean, you don't have to look that back that far, there was no such thing as a data scientist. I mean, it's like, it's relatively modern. It's a relatively modern job by comparison to everything else. And again, it's a derivative of engineering and, 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 uh, and mathematics. And, you know, it's almost like, okay, well, we can get maths to do something pretty cool. Here. We can, you know, feed it some data about the past, and we can predict something about the future. What are the applications for that? And then, you know, it kind of progresses from that point on. So I think what's going to happen is, I think we're just seeing, you know, they, they call it the fourth industrial revolution. There's names for it everywhere, but the future of work. But what I, what I think it's really doing is it's going, okay, well, no one really gets excited about turning up to work and spending nine hours a day resetting passwords. No one enjoys that. You know, no one enjoys that. That's kind of like, you know, it's like, how was work today? Ah, you know, I reset another 6,000 passwords today, you know? Like, I mean, it's almost like forces, it almost forces change upon people. It almost forces change in a really good way, I think, because it forces you to kind of not be, I mean, if, 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 you're most, if your job is very structured and very, um, you know, very, uh, I would say, you know, either statistically driven or, um, or process driven, a machine can do it. Absolutely, it's just a matter of time. And so the question is, how do we, how do I become more irreplaceable? And I think it goes back to the original question of, I think the people who are going to win are the people who are more human than machine in their everyday life. We're going to have a much more humanistic world as technology progresses. And of course, there are new, there are going to be new fields. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, the electric vehicle industry is completely changing things. And you know, they're talking about um, you know, outlawing petrol vehicles in particular nations, right? China, I think, is going to be the first one that's going to make it outlawed. And, um, and of course, that changes the nature of what, what a mechanic does. 
right? And um, you know, now you have to learn about how lithium batteries work and, and you know, uh, things that could possibly go wrong with the, uh, the navigation system and, and, and all that stuff. And so you've got, I think you've got this kind of really natural progression happening in a really unnatural way of people have been forced to find their purpose as technology comes in and rips things that don't give us purpose away. And that leaves us with two things, right? It leaves us with, okay, well, if I really want to try and be something, I can learn and be creative and, and work out how I can apply myself in this technology. Or I can sit back and I think what's going to happen, you know, I think Elon, I keep bringing him up because he talks a lot about this. Uh, he talks about the universal basic income and um, that could be real. I mean, you know, cryptocurrency, you could see the evolution where everyone's just going to have a wallet, you know, in the world and everyone's just going to get this standard thing. And if you want to achieve more, you can achieve more. So what that's going to mean is that everyone gets an opportunity to choose what they do, not because they have to, because they want to. What is your view on how we perhaps tackle some of the potential risk of inequality that, that is produced by access to technology, access to opportunity? Because obviously there's a lot of talk about how um, increased use of AI may widen that gap and, and disadvantage more people. But how do you see us perhaps mitigating that to enable more people to become and live more humanly, more humanely? It's funny that, that uh, I'm so glad you asked that. It's funny that technologies solve that as well. And again, if you look at it, the reason why, yeah, if you go to universal basic income and you paid everybody in US dollars or something, or whatever currency, doesn't really matter. The longer that sits in your bank account, the less it's worth, right? So theoretically, they already are taking it away. You know what I mean? You're, you're, working, you're slaving every day, you're putting money aside, but it doesn't buy, that, that same amount of money doesn't buy the same as it will as it, as it could last year, same time, right? It's just, that's inflation. So you start to really question, and you're going down a controversial path here, which one is the fake currency? Is it the cryptocurrency, which can't be, you know, if you pick the, the right one, um, where it can't be, you, you can't add more currency, like they, they created a, a particular volume of currency day one, and that's all there is, right? And therefore demand increases the value of that currency. And therefore, it could be kind of an asset. It works very similar to, I would say, something like gold does or even property, right? Um, so, and then it makes you ask a question. So it's new, it's weird, it's digital, I can't hold it. Is that the fake currency or is the fake currency the one that they've been feeding us for so long that they keep taking away? They, keep, like, they make it worth less every day, right? And this, this brings you to a point where you're going, oh, my God, technology is solving that too, right? So hence why it's so difficult to, for, for governments to rally, to, to, to get their head around how this changes everything because they can't control it now, right? And so I, I genuinely feel like there's uh, technology will solve that. Again, I don't have the answers for that. But again, if you look at what exists today and you try to, amplify it you know if you look at um something like you know uh bitcoin or ethereum for example which are the two majors um you know there will never be any more in fact there will actually be less so it's actually deflationary um so ethereum for example they, they, they've now just started 
burning their currency. So they buy, you know, they literally just burn the currency away, which means there are less in supply and everyone's, the value goes up even more. Um, and they, a lot of these different cryptocurrencies do that. And this is kind of interesting to me because I don't think we've ever experienced anything like it. You know, it's almost like somebody's walked into the largest vault of gold and they've just melted it into oblivion and gone, you know, now there's just less gold in the world. So everyone's gold's worth more, you know? It's kind of like that. And so I feel like I would definitely leave it to technology to solve that problem. I feel like, you know, I feel like we're in the very early days of seeing something pretty crazy happening. So I don't know. You're familiar with Winnie the Pooh, right, Toma, obviously. So um, I'm going to ask you the uh, – uh, so you're Tigger, okay? You're Tigger. You're absolutely Tigger. You know, you've got um, springs in your feet. Um, so but I'm going to ask you to be Eeyore. What could go wrong? So technology is just a tool, right? It's just, you know, it's just a, a smarter tool, right? It does, it's, a, it's a better hammer, really. That's all it is, right? And so, of course, what is a hammer, right? You, know, you can use it to hammer a wheel together. You can, you can use it to bash a skull in. I mean, it, it comes down to the individual, and that's kind of the problem. So... You know, you only have to look at, you know, we, we put our trust in the fact that technology is good. And again, technology is not, uh, it's, not a, it's not a person, it's a thing. And it's being commanded and steered by hopefully good people. Do you think that one of the things that could be taught some kind of literacy, the importance of literacy around technology Critically, so for example, if I think about the Truman Show, just use that example, and I, I think about the um, the revelation to many. I think that sort of an algorithm, for example, an algorithm arguably is the equivalent of the Truman Dome. In other words, for for, for it's an invisible capsule which is um, ordering and sequencing reality in particular ways. And once it's visibilized, once you know you're in the dome you can look at that dome critically and perhaps you can uh, figure out, you can, uh, you can build a relationship to that, but you can only do that once you know that you are encapsulated by something. So, I, so when I think about if I was seeking to empower people around fearlessness, a big part of that would have to be to teach critical thinking. I always like to ask why, you know, but you know, you know, you're here, you're here, to learn how to be a, you know, a, a, an incredible human. But what's, what's the why? Like, why are, you, why are you even here? You know what I mean? And then it, I think it really does come back to that desire. Yes, it's about seeing where you are, questioning everything, pulling back, you know, like I said, pulling back the, the curtain from the dome and seeing where you are. But at the same time going, why am I pulling the curtain back, right? What, what's driving me to do this? And it comes down to, again, our own desires. What do we want out of life? And so, again, you know, you can ask people a number of different things. They might say, I want success, however that looks, money. Um, I want to be famous. I want to be, you know, um, you know, written into a journal. I, you know, I want to advance something in, in some way or, or another. And if you look at it, they're all saying the same thing. We're all saying the same thing. What it's doing is, what they're saying is, I want to help advance this world, 
right? I want to advance this world. Well, any goal that anybody has, right? There's a certain level of selfishness. And then that selfishness becomes obsolete because, you know, let's say you, after you have $100 million, $101 million feels the same, right? After that point, what's, what are you doing? Like, there's no point in accumulating more. I mean, you can accumulate more wealth, but it won't feel any different to you. In fact, you won't feel like you've done anything, right? You're going, you're kind of sitting on your hands and going, well, this is boring, right? And so really the, the power that you then have by becoming successful is your ability to create miracles for others, right? You can now use that money, that, that's leverage. You can now exert effort and give birth to your crazy weird visions of the world, right? You go, I can take $10 million now and build an experimental whatever it is, right? And give it a go. And this will be crazy, but if it works, the world's going to be a different place. And I, I genuinely think that all the core drivers, I think, that stem from education are driven by some purpose. First, I think they may be programmed to us uh, but, you know, by expectations of society, you know, go you know, be educated and do something with your life. But um, at the same time, it's like going, but how am I helping humanity, right? Is my whole job here to literally be birthed, you know, shake off the fluids, right? Learn, work, die. Like seriously, there has to be more to life than that. There has to be more to life than that. And really the purpose is to help other humans and there's a famous saying i don't even said it the way to become enriched is to enrich others and so that doesn't necessarily mean wealth it means knowledge it means um you know uh helping people out in terms of you know having them achieve their own dreams as well and so i think that's what it comes down to it's like yes you're in dome yes pull the curtain back but you pulled the curtain back why did you do that right and then starting them to Starting to get to really understand what their place, why they're doing what they're doing. And once you snap out of the whole, once you snap out of the whole, you know, I'm just here because I had to pick a degree and now I'm learning and then I'll get a job because then if I have a job, I'll get a salary. And if I get a salary, I can get a house and then maybe somebody will marry me. And, you know, then I can have some kids. And then once I have kids, I'll feel like I've accomplished everything in life and then I can maybe retire at some stage. And then die. And you know what I mean? It's kind of like these, these rules that are, that are created for us. At some point, you have to shatter them and try to find where you are. And why, why, why are you born? Everyone has really unique skills and a really, weird, a really, not weird, a really unique perspective in the way that they collect knowledge and apply that in the world. And if everyone had the opportunity to express their own individuality into the world based on the things that they've learned. This is, this would be, be a miracle planet. It would just be the most, it would be surreal. So anyway, I don't even know if that answers your question. That's where my brain went. <laughs> so I, I can't think of a more positive place to, to end the podcast. I think, thank you so much for your time today and for a, a vision into the near future of, of humanity. That's been an absolute privilege. Oh no, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I hope you got some, uh, got some pleasure out of that. Yeah.